It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Welcome to another episode of the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. Thanks for being here, friends. My name is Mike Bernard. I'm your host. I'm also one of the certified financial planners on the program. With me in the KFG studios, my business partners and fellow CFPs, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. So when you have a young family, it's important for your overall financial plan to have the appropriate amount of life insurance coverage on both you and your spouse. However, should you have life insurance on your dependent children as well? We're helping you answer that question and more coming up on today's episode. I'm just going to tell you right now, I had one philosophy and when I became a parent, it changed. It apparently changed and we will, I'll explain why. And, and maybe, you know, this will help you make a great decision or be prepared to make a decision in your financial life. If you have a question for us, for the show, or need some help, you can reach out to us a few different ways. Call or text 574-222-2000. That's 574-222-2000. Online, wisemoneyshow.com. And then all over social media, wherever you're at, we are there as well. Risk management, protection planning is one of the six areas of your financial life. Not to overwhelm you here, but your decisions in that area need to be connected to the other areas of your financial life, okay, and bring synergy. And so you can't look at life insurance or disability insurance or whatever in a vacuum, okay? You've got to look at it as it fits with the rest of your overall financial life. And when you're looking at protection planning, there's the risk of, you know, passing away, at, uh, at a time when you're financially vulnerable, so you need life insurance, not being able to work and earn, earn an income, that's disability insurance, um, needing care, needing assistance later in life, that's long-term care insurance you'd consider there. Um, having a health emergency and, and having a lot of medical expenses, so you need health insurance to help cover that. And then uh, causing liability, causing damage to, to a person or property, that's home and auto insurance. And and those aren't just avenues where, okay, well, here's the insurance du jour. No, you just, how should you manage that risk? And if you're going to transfer that risk, you're buying some insurance. Well, for you and your spouse, you are, uh, you know, contributing financially to the family. And therefore, getting life insurance, having adequate life insurance on you is, you know, fundamentally important. And we're all aware of that. However, I just saw a stat recently, but that nearly 50% of of adults don't have life insurance and the majority that have life insurance don't feel they have adequate amounts and so maybe this is the nudge for you to work with your cfp make sure you've got the right amount but do you need life insurance on your kids your kids aren't contributing anything financially to the equation in fact they're doing the opposite so do, do you need life insurance on them right and and so first what's the case for not for not needing life insurance on your kids well, if you, the question is, what is the case for life insurance ever? And so if you said the case for life insurance is I'm going to fund my unfunded goals or there's a survivor income need or there's an estate liquidity need, there's what's the purpose? And we're talking about youthful family. So if you're a youthful family and you're listening, I would say, Yes, life insurance is super important, so important that I think October is Life Insurance Awareness Month. September was. Yes. That's you what, it. Yeah, that's what I said. Nice try. No, no, no. I celebrate it every day. Uh, so um, every day is Life Insurance Awareness uh, Day for me. So no, but so they, so really what you want, the insurance you want for a youthful family 
is disability insurance. And I know that's not what we're talking about today, but that I just had this conversation. That's the insurance that you want to make sure you have. So once you've got your disability insurance in place, then you've got the right life insurance for you and mother, then you consider the kiddos. Yeah. It's kind of it's kind of like put your oxygen mask on first. <laughs> Don't worry about your kid who's sitting there asphyxiating. Um, uh, take care of yourself first. So um, put your light, your oxygen mask on first. Then consider the children. And there are some considerations and the and and ways to look at it. But if you said if you just oversimplified and you said assets and liabilities, the if if you work, you are and bring income into the home, you'd be considered an asset. Your children don't, so they would be considered a liability. And you think, oh, what a horrible thing. I'm not calling anyone's children a liability. It's just it, in the in the math equation, they they are net takers. I, I'd like to tell some, <laughs> some parents or kids are, are a liability. liability. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Let me name names here. <laughs> I'm a youth baseball coach. Listen, I, I know. Don't swing that bat, Johnny. Put that bat down. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so they can behave like liabilities as well. Um, but no, so that's where you think, okay, Financially, you're fin- not out anything, right? right. If, if the yeah, emotionally, that's why I, I often how I how I say it because emotions really. I'm not going to say get in the way, but they get in the way, okay? Because emotionally, something happens, you're devastated, just, for sure. Yeah, right. Yeah. It would just be it, one of the most painful things in in life you mm-hmm. could go through, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yet financially, it really wouldn't be. There wouldn't. I mean, the, the, their you kids aren't bringing. Hope not. Their kids aren't bringing in any income to the household, and so there you go. If Kevin, you mentioned that finishing up unfinished goals is one of the purposes of life insurance. Mm-hmm. So, if husband or wife pass away, if either or both of them are breadwinners, bringing in income to the family, it's that income most likely that is driving progress towards paying down that mortgage or saving for retirement or building up an education fund for the kids. And if you live long enough and life continues on, the sun is shining and the birds are chirping and life is great, then hopefully you've got a game plan that's going to allow you to achieve those goals over time. But if tragedy strikes and something stops your forward progress because one of the spouse's um, you know, dies in a tragic mm-hmm. accident or a, a horrible illness of some sort. Um, life insurance is a way to create resources where there's an, an unmet need, right? Mm-hmm. It, it could help replace some years of income for that spouse that passed away. It could fast forward the repayment of that that mortgage, or you could instantly have all the dollars that are needed for that college fund or or for a retirement nest egg. But that's when we're talking about the parents, right? Yeah. If a child passes away, what is the unfinished goal? You know, okay, I, I didn't finish saving for their college education. I don't need to now, tragically, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so a lot of times the need goes away, and, and so the, the life insurance on that child maybe becomes, you know, kind of irrelevant at that point. Now, I, that, that's the argument for why not to have life insurance, right? You've obviously concluded differently. Like you, you've come to the conclusion that you do want to have life insurance I, on your kids. And- I changed my story. My perspective changed, and it could just be my emotions got in the way. I just well, it's very possible. However, when I became so, that was always my approach. That financially not going to be out anything. I don't need life insurance on kids. Well, then we had our you know our first child, 
And I thought, oh my goodness, if something happens, I'm I'm going to want some liquidity, some financial liquidity in, I, I, we're going to want life insurance. And there's a few reasons why. Now you could say that these were all emotional decisions that I rash, <laughs> that I rationalized, but I, there's three of them. And, and the first reason is if something happened to her, first child was a daughter, she's perfect in every way. And then the two boys <laughs> ruined it. Um, I, I might need some time away from work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, sure. and and it's and 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 who am I to say? Well, I'm going to need some time away from work, FMLA, whatever, and I'm going to expect to continue to be compensated. For most people, that's not the case. I wouldn't expect that, and therefore, having some financial liquidity, some financial freedom to take some time to manage through those emotions, I thought that was necessary. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that was appropriate. Now, the amount of insurance that we purchased on the kids doesn't provide a lot of freedom, but it provides some freedom if that's the case. Now, certainly you might think, well, it's so emotional. I might not want to work again. Well, that would be a lot of insurance that you'd need to get, but maybe a little will help go a long way. There's a couple other reasons why I decided to get life insurance on my kids where maybe you want to as well. So we've got that more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Should you get life insurance on your kids? What are the reasons why? What are the reasons why not? And if, if so, if you should, where should you get it from? We're helping with that right now. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. With me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Every episode of the Wise Money Show is on the YouTube channel. Go check it out. Go to YouTube, search the Wise Money Show, subscribe to it there, turn on notifications, and, and, and make sure you submit questions and all that stuff right there as well. All right, so we're talking about life insurance on your kids. It's it's apparent, no pun intended that time, that as uh, as income producing adults in the family, it's it's appropriate to have life insurance. If something happens to one of you, there are financial resources, Josh, like you said, that are created to help you deal with unfunded financial issues or unmet financial needs. But on kids, that's not really the case. They're not bringing assets or income into the family. And therefore, do you need life insurance? And because financially they're not, you're not financially dependent on them, you could argue no. But as I, when I became a parent, that changed. And I do have a small life insurance policy on each of my kids. Number one, to give, to provide some financial liquidity, some resources that if I needed to take time off of work or Cindy needed to take time off of work, or we just needed to reset, there'd be a little less financial pressure at that time. Give us some freedom to do that. Second is at the time, I mean, we started having kids. Now, this is different. Culture is changing. But we started having kids when we were in our mid-20s. And let's just say financially, we didn't have it all figured out yet. We didn't have, you know, we're still, in a way, building foundation, all of that stuff, and trying to make wise financial decisions. But early on, you know, if something happened to your to your child, you maybe have an emergency fund, maybe. And so if you needed to all of a sudden deal with the financial costs of them, you know, of having a service for them and all those oh, just awful decisions that now have a price tag early on in your financial life, some additional liquidity would help with that. Yeah. I mean, if if it's ten to $15,000 of final expenses for uh, a lot of funerals around the, the country, for some people, that would create a significant hardship. And even if you had a $15,000 emergency fund, to completely wipe it out with one event like that, 
uh, it may take you years to recover from it. Mm-hmm. And so this is one of the arguments for why some people, some parents will have life insurance on their kids so that um, you know, they, they have the cash to be able to take care of all those final expenses. You talked in the last segment, Mike, about having some time off of work. Um, that, that may be very important for the grieving process. Another thing that, you know, a lot of grieving spouses or grieving parents um, often benefit from having someone to walk through that grief with them, you know, a, a therapist, a counselor, someone that uh, can help them process through all those emotions. And that's not cheap, right? Yeah. If if every week or two you're sitting down for an hour with someone who's billing at an hourly rate, uh, you know, it can add up in a hurry, especially if you're providing that for yourself, you're, you're walking through this. And what about maybe some siblings who are also grieving the loss of, of uh, you know, that same child? Yeah, yeah. And then the final reason is typically the first one that you're going to hear a financial professional share on why, the reasons why to get life insurance on your kids, and that is lock-in insurability. Now, it's yeah. it was the last consideration for me. It doesn't mean that it's not important or, uh, or, or, or should be the last, but it is locking in insurability. I was just sharing over the break that uh, my spouse works in a pediatric medical office, and they had a 16-year-old in the chair who was just nonchalantly talking about his brain tumor. And it's just awful. And Mm -hmm. you would have to assume that that individual, I mean, obviously, and and he seemed confident in the treatment plan, but you just never know. It might be difficult for that individual to get life insurance. Say he gets through this, has surgery, gets uh, gets healthy and everything, then gets married, starts a family. It might be hard for him to get life insurance at a time when he needs it then because he's got people dependent on his income, right? So getting insurance while the kids are young is typically there's no medical underwriting needed. There's no medical exam. You just ask a couple, answer a couple questions, but you lock in that insurability because they've got coverage. And then there's a point in time as the children grow where that insurance likely will need to be changed Yeah, because it's probably not enough insurance for them to start a family mm-hmm. and and uh, if they have student loans, some student loans are paid off at your death, yeah. uh, some aren't. So some are paid off by other people. I mean, just, <laughs> <laughs> tag that too soon? Is it too soon? Uh, yes, <laughs> I, yeah, shouldn't, yeah, I shouldn't. I yeah. shouldn't. That. that is serious. Yes. Topic. Well, uh, yeah. So to that point, Kevin, you know, I'll just tell you right now. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to, allowed to say this, but so it's twenty five thousand dollars coverage on each of the kids. Mm-hmm. By the when they turn eighteen, it increases fifty percent. This sounds like a big number. It goes to thirty-seven thousand. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and then when they turn twenty-one, it goes to fifty thousand total. It's called a jumping juvenile policy, and I, I think this isn't an infomercial or commercial for it. Um, but it's not. That's not going to go very far. It's a little right. something, right. and the cost is you know one hundred and twenty bucks a year, one hundred and forty bucks a year, something like that. Yeah. So anyway, so but if if your primary motivation was to lock in insurability, as we're saying, and and what we mean by that is. At the time that someone buys life insurance, that's the time when the insurance company can scrutinize your health history and ask you all kinds of questions because they're trying trying to gauge whether or not you're a risk worth taking for them. And do they want to enter into a contract that, um, you know, they hope the odds of you passing away are extremely, extremely low. And that's why the premiums are hopefully low for, for you. But if your kids are young, um, that helps keep premiums low. The, the younger you are when you get life insurance, the typically the cheaper it is. And then also the healthier that you are. 
the cheaper that the premiums will be as well. And hopefully when you are young, in your teens or even in your 20s, um, you're in great shape. You're in, in great health or you haven't accumulated any diagnoses or any bad habits or, or anything like that. And so the, um, the, the hope would be that this is the cheapest time for you to buy life insurance. And once you've got it, they don't keep asking you about your health every year after that, yeah. right? It, it's all at the time of the, the, the contract being signed. And so while they're young, um, while they're healthy, it's a time to take advantage of their insurability and get something in place. But as you said, $50,000 isn't enough for them to provide for their own family someday, right? So if if that's all the insurance that they go into adulthood with and... Um, there is some significant change in their health where they can't get insurance anymore or uh, they would pay significant premiums, um, you know, that, that earlier policy that you help them put in place becomes even more valuable. That's right. Okay, so the point here wasn't to talk you into it or, or kind of guilt trip you, get, you know, stir up some emotions and cause you to make an emotional decision. Now, the point is work with your certified financial planner and, and gosh, you don't want to I mean, Kevin said he thinks about life insurance every single day. Uh, most people don't <laughs> want to think about it that often. You don't want to run through those those awful scenarios in your head. But work with your CFP, talk through this, and you know, make a wise decision for yourself based on your own financial situation. If you come to the conclusion, yeah, we should get some life insurance on the kids. There's a few different ways to do so. Josh, let's start talking about those. Where where could you get the insurance from? Where should you even of the three different choices? Which one's the best? Well, I mean, there are some insurance companies out there that it's kind of their niche. Like they specialize in health insurance for kids. A lot of times it's a, a small whole life policy that as long as uh, you or the, the child themselves keep on paying the premiums throughout their entire life, then that policy will stay in force for, for decades. Um, so, so that would be buying a direct policy on the, the child themselves. Yeah. So that's what I have. Okay. That's, and I would probably say that would be the most common or or uh, or maybe first one that you should consider because that is a policy that they'll have for their entire life. It's a whole life policy, meaning the the, the payments you make um, are going into cash value and so on. That that insurance can be there forever. The other options that's that's not the case. So what are some of the other ways that you could get life insurance on your kids? Compare and contrast pros and cons. We're going to hit that more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. If you're going to get life insurance on your kids, there's a few different places you can go or ways you can get the coverage. They're not all created equal. What's the best route to go? We're helping with that right now. This is the Wise Money Show. With Corhorn Financial Group, thanks for being here. My name's Mike Bernard. With me in the KFC studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Stay up to date on all Wise Money content. Find us online, wisemoneyshow.com, and then all over social media, wherever you're at, we are there as well. Search the Wise Money Show. All right, we went through sort of both thought processes on should you have insurance on the kids, your youthful kind of dependent kids, or not. And if you decide yes, a few different places or ways you can get coverage in place. And the first, I would argue, is the first one you should consider. And that is a specific policy on them, on the child. Uh, It's a whole life policy where you're going to pay a little bit every single year. And as long as you pay that premium, that coverage will be in place for forever. And 
And the reason why I like that is it's a dedicated policy on them. And there's no sort of time at which you're forced to get rid of it or give it up or make a decision with it. It's just enforced for as long as you pay the premium, as long as you want to. Yeah, I I think the the interesting thing when you when you even as you're considering this, um, my dad when I started uh, as a financial planner, he had a bunch of accidental death and dismemberment insurance at work, and he bought it through work, and it's really cheap, and there's a reason why it's really cheap mm-hmm. is because it's almost never used, yeah. and so I said, Dad. Dad, why are you spend? I mean, it wasn't a ton of money, but I'm like, Dad, why are you spending all this money on accidental death and dismemberment insurance? And it's because some guy from work died in an accident, mm. and uh, he had a bunch of this, and it kind of uh, saved his his family's financial situation. Yeah, and so the, a, lo- a lot of times that's why people will do that. I mean, if you look at the um, and this is, you know, it's not a great, it's not a great fun topic to be no. talking about. But if you if you look at the mortality statistics, thirteen point four children per hundred thousand in the five to fourteen age range die. Die each year. Yeah. So statistically, you don't need that. So then the question is, okay, if I can get it, what kind of insurance can I get? If it's whole life, what's the difference? And when you're looking at whole life, that is that insurance is meant to be paid for your whole life. Mm-hmm. And so the, the cost of insurance internally within a whole life policy is more expensive. And so we have some clients that we're working with right now, and they have two adult children, and they bought uh, universal life policies for their children when they were still actually still minors. And now those policies each have, let's say, 10 grand in them. So they said, well, what do we do for each of our children? Well, the, the children have different situations. And one, one child is super financially responsible. So you say, hey, for the child that's super financially responsible, it, let's figure out what kind of insurance they need. And typically, they once once they're an adult and they have, there's an insurable interest, there's a need to have insurance, they can get great insurance. And I say, well, do it when you're young and healthy before you've had your first uh, financial event or, you know, you've, you've put on uh, sympathy weight as your wife uh, <laughs> is having babies. Uh, or whatever the whatever the situation is, do get it well and get a bunch of it when you're young. And I I personally have just lean towards hey get a 30 year term and pay that premium. Uh, statistically, you're you're not going to use it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so um, so there's a there's because we looked at the cost within this universal life policy, and the cost per thousand is about three times what term insurance per thousand is. Now the difference is in um, you know this the, the term policy, it's underwritten to go 30 years. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Um, you could at some point convert it to a permanent policy and there's some other things that you can do. but the, the big idea is, hey look, I'm going to pay this for 30 years and it's like my car insurance. I'm going to pay the premium and hope I never use it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the idea. So at some point you may go from whole life to term insurance. And you may then gift the whole life policy 
to that child at a certain age. It might have a little cash value at that time. Or you might say, we don't need it. Once we get the term policy in place, now we've locked in that insurability again. We don't need to keep this smaller policy. It's got a couple thousand dollars of cash benefit. Let's just cash it out and either keep the cash or give it to the child or, or something like that. Yeah, so. and because that's where you want to uh, simplify. Because with these folks, we looked and we said, okay, you you bought this 10 years ago. Has anything changed in your financial life? Well, everything's changed in their financial right. life. And a lot of times, your life insurance policies don't keep up with the changes that you're making. Yeah. Um, or the gradual increase in your net worth. And you, and you say, hey, well, I actually, now I'm self-insured. Well, all right. What what should you now do with the life insurance that you have? Yeah, the opposite can happen too, right? You could upgrade your house, and now you've got twice the mortgage that you once did. You could have had three more children since you first bought your life insurance. Oh, absolutely. And so yeah. it is important to revisit this on a on a regular basis. And since we're talking about life insurance for kids. I think a policy that builds in flexibility is important because your kids are going to have changes occur in, in their lives as well. If you went with a term insurance policy, getting it as long as you can, like Kevin said, if you if you bought a 30-year term policy for your teenager, let's say, um, I, I think it's important to have the features built into it that do give you the ability to convert that into a permanent policy mm-hmm. in case there is some sort of significant health change that that happens. What if it turns out that you locking in their insurability, boy, what a great move because something changes in their health and they will never be able to buy another life insurance policy on their own in in the future. If that's the case, maybe they need the insurance to stretch longer than that 30-year term that you purchased. And the way they can make the policy last longer is by converting it into a permanent policy where they're now paying heavier premiums, but it's building up a cash value that will help carry that insurance past the 30-year mark for them longer into into, uh, their adulthood. Yeah, I mean, there's that that point in early adulthood where if you bought insurance on the kiddos to lock in insurability, you basically step that up in a meaningful fashion Mm -hmm. at some point in their... um, 20s. All right. So let's sneak in a couple other ways to get life insurance specifically on your kids as opposed to this this event out there when they're young adults, something like that. You can get a, a specific policy directly on them. When you're buying your own term life insurance, a lot of a lot of the insurance companies have options where you can add a child rider is what they call it. So a $10,000 life insurance policy that's sort of a tag along on your kids. That's a great option, likely going to be cheaper. Here's the problem with it. Typically, there's a clause that says, well, this provides coverage for minor kids up until they turn 18, and yet you're still going to be paying that cost potentially past their 18. Some of them automatically turn it off, but a lot of them don't. And so while it might seem cheaper and it might feel easier, oftentimes it's not, and it's not either of those. And then the final is when you're the final, the kind of third way to get life insurance on your kids is when you're signing up for your group benefits through your employer. They might have a little insurance policy on you, and then you could buy up a policy maybe on your spouse or maybe on your kids. Not all companies offer this as a benefit. Some of them do, and I would also argue it might not be a benefit. The benefit probably is on convenience. But when you switch jobs, as can happen in a you know very quick second, you know, just all of a sudden you lost your job or let go or saw a better opportunity. If all of a sudden your life insurance decisions get swept along with that decision, 
you you might have some big changes and you might find a situation where you have a gap in coverage. So I still like the idea of having coverage, direct coverage on your kids. Work with your CFP on that. We've got more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard. With me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Every episode of the Wise Money Show is on podcast wherever you listen. Search the Wise Money Show. Follow us there. Subscribe to it there. But then also rate the program. We appreciate that. That's helpful feedback for us, but it also allows other folks looking for content on wise financial principles. Helps them find us. So we appreciate that. Listen to the Wise Money Show on podcast. All right, let's shift gears here. We're transitioning into questions from fans of the show. And those of you weekly listeners know uh, we haven't gotten to questions in a while. I've pulled some out and made them topics, headliner topics for the show. But we've got a long list here. We're going to start the question that came from the YouTube channel. Here's what it said. Hey, here I am excited that I'm about to finish paying off my house. But everyone that I know says that I will pay more taxes. And they mention all this negative stuff. Now I'm doubting whether I should pay off my house. Should I pay it off or continue to pay on a mortgage? Guys, what do you think? First of all, what, what's the what's the negative stuff? Because it feels like there's just a lot of hearsay, uh, all hat no cattle sort of sort of thing. There's a lot of <laughs> lot of uh, boogeymen out there. Yeah, for sure. That that there's going to be a whole bunch of unintended consequences if you pay off your mortgage early. Then you're going to lose some tax goodies. And, and what they're referring to, I, I, in my opinion, this is a bigger deal a handful of years ago, back before most Americans started um, taking the standard deduction on their tax return. Mm-hmm. You know, more people used to itemize their deductions, so they would uh, total up a, a whole series of expenses. You know, their charitable gifts that they give, the taxes that they pay um, to the state and local governments, even their real estate taxes are, are deductible. Or mortgage interest was another one. And so if mortgage interest suddenly goes away because you're not paying a mortgage anymore, um, the the thought was that, well, you're giving up a tax deduction. And the reality is you're, you're also giving up a significant expense, right? That, that tax savings for that mortgage write-off um, was a fraction of the actual cost that you were sending out to the the bank, and so uh, that argument I don't I don't personally buy. But another one related to taxes is the real estate taxes themselves. Some jurisdictions, some counties, um, give you a a mortgage deduction, or they give you a, a reduction on your real estate taxes if you have a mortgage in place. And uh, at least in our neck of the woods, it's not significant. You know, it, it might be fifty bucks a year that you would be giving up if you eliminate your mortgage. And again, that's just a little bit more cost on your real estate taxes. But think about what goes away when you're not making that mortgage payment anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, I couldn't say it any better than that. I mean, that's we get this question all the time. And and you might have, you might have considered it or, or thought about it yourself. But when you're making your mortgage payment, a certain amount is going towards escrow, just into a separate bank account that the the bank controls, and that's what they're going to use to pay your property taxes and your homeowners insurance. But the rest of your payment is split up between interest and principal, and the interest portion doesn't help you. It's just direct cost. Right. The interest portion is what is deductible as an itemized deduction, and therefore, as Josh said, 
if you're still itemizing, the tax benefit you get is a percentage of the interest cost. Well, I'd rather have 100% of the interest gone. Yeah, That's going to be cheapest for you. Now, if the decision is, well, I've got resources, I'm paying extra on my mortgage, should I continue to pay extra on my mortgage or should I save up and, and do something else with this money? Now, that's a compelling financial planning question. That's right, because now you're comparing different options, right? And if you have some free cash flow that you're currently choosing to put towards the mortgage, but you could have chosen to do other things with it, I think it's the evaluation of those other things that will determine is paying down the mortgage more more quickly is it a good idea or is it a great idea? Mm. You know what? What are the alternatives? And if right now, you know the the investment world. I don't know if you've been paying attention, but it hasn't been a real fun ride oh. in in the stock market oh, over the the past few months here, the whole that. year really. Mm-hmm. Um, but when the stock market gets ugly, it often presents a pretty compelling buying opportunity. You know, you can buy low, right? Buy low, sell high, as they say in, in Wall Street. And the lower that the stock market goes, the, the better chances are that your investment, your new dollars into the, into the mutual funds or into your retirement plan at work or a Roth IRA, the, the better chance that that has some quick pop to it. You know, over the handful of years to come, during a recovery, you can experience some pretty significant growth. And that growth... That rate of return that maybe you could uh, put yourself in a position to take advantage of, it might be better than the interest that you're saving yourself by paying down on the mortgage, especially if you were one of the millions of Americans who refinanced in the 2000-2001 period when interest rates were so low. It feels like a distant memory now that uh, mortgage rates have crept back up pretty, pretty rapidly. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think for sure, this is what I would tell you. Get excited about paying off your mortgage and ignore the naysayers. One thing that you may want to do is have something in your back pocket as far as a home equity line of credit that sometimes that still allows you to have the mortgage deduction. Yeah. I, I also wonder about if you paid off the mortgage and then used that money use that whatever you were paying towards your mortgage payment you use that to continue to or or contribute more to your 401k or IRA and then you you supercharge those tax deductions and tax benefits mm-hmm. so point is work with your certified financial planner paying off your mortgage is something to celebrate and if you're paying extra on your mortgage to get it paid off quickly, make sure that's the wise choice that I would argue you should be funding the right amount towards retirement first and then if there's extra that you can still afford to for goal achievement money, then talk to your CFP whether you should contribute even more towards retirement or pay down the mortgage faster. So good question. Next question here, and there's a few ways to interpret it. So guys, I'm going to need your help here. So it comes from Scott. Send it in uh, at wisemoneyshow.com. Hi, I'm turning 62 and deciding what my best options are for taking Social Security. My plan currently is to keep working until 67 and I'll make my normal $50,000 salary that will increase probably 2% a year. My question is, if I start receiving Social Security benefits today, would my projected benefits at 67 be lower compared to if I delayed until 67? Currently, my Social Security benefit is $2,500 a month, 
right at 67 or 1800 a month at 62. There's a couple of ways. Yeah, I'm getting a few different signals there. The first <laughs> one that I guess I would just point out right away, Scott, is if you're 62 right now, you are eligible. You, you could start drawing your Social Security right now. However, if it's before your full retirement age of 67, then you're, it's technically called a penalty. Your Social Security will be penalized for every dollar you earn from wages above a certain threshold. And that threshold, I don't have it right in front of me. Call it 20000 Yeah, uh, 19000 I'm going to call it 19000 because it's closer. <laughs> um, so if you, if you keep making fifty grand, you will have turned on Social Security only to receive no benefit because all of it would be penalized away. That's so right. I, I'm not sure. I don't believe that's what you're insinuating in this question, but we do get that question at least once a year. Oh, I finally reached to the point where I could turn on Social Security. What if I continue working a certain amount and draw my Social Security and then I can just do something with that Social Security? Nah, you can't really double dip. They'll penalize it. Mm-hmm. So. I, I was almost interpreting is the thought that does, does he believe that if he starts at 62 and keeps on working, when he gets to full retirement age, does it somehow jump up to that quoted benefit or something? No. And, and the reality is, once you start your Social Security, um, you know you're, you're locked in. Like you, you. There are ways within the first 12 months that you could stop it, pay it back, and and almost kind of get a little bit of a do over there. But uh, it, it's not like if if you locked in at that $1,800 a month uh, amount at age 62. By the time you get to 67, it doesn't jump forward to the the 67 or full retirement age benefit of 2,500 that you were you were quoting, even if you kept on working. The other way you could interpret it, or that I'm interpreting the question is, what if I retired now at 62, but decided to delay my Social Security until full retirement age? Would my Social Security at full retirement age be reduced because I I stopped working five years sooner? Would it be? Yeah, potentially. Yes. They're, they're assuming that from you know now until your full retirement age that you're going to keep earning at that at that same amount or slightly higher. However, your Social Security is calculated on 35 years of work history, so it might but not they, make a big impact. They have anticipated that in the calculation when when they're giving you an estimate out there at age 67, even in the fine print. I think on these uh, Social Security benefit statements that you receive once a year. It says it is based on the assumption that you keep on earning this dollar amount, and most likely it's showing you know something very similar to what you earned last year. So if all of a sudden that income stops or it drops significantly, then you may not actually receive the amount that they estimated for your full retirement age. The plan has to, or, or life has to play out the way that they have estimated for those numbers to be true. Mm-hmm. It, but normally, it's not an enormous decline if you retire sooner and start drawing, or if you retire sooner and don't have those additional years of working income. But listen, if you if you took a siesta, or if you stayed home with the kids for several years and you don't have a robust work history, I mean, your Social Security is based on 35 years of work history. So if you've been working since you're 21 with no stop, then it's probably not going to make a big impact. It will be some, but not huge. But if you worked until 25, then stayed home with the kids until 42, and then started again and switched jobs and worked part time, I don't know. This could this could be play a bigger role than than what you you know what it could for other folks. So I think the point here that I would illustrate and that I'm seeing here 
$1,800 a month in Social Security at 62 versus $2,500 a month for the rest of your life at age 67. Those are real numbers. This is mm-hmm. a big increase. Yep. It points to something, Josh, that you talk about all the time, and that is as you're doing your retirement planning and projecting out when you could confidently retire, waiting just one more year, one year could make a lot of difference. That's exactly right. And Social Security is one of the examples of uh, an improvement that that one year buys because uh, instead of having such a significant reduction uh, at age 62, waiting one more year, essentially, if if you use rough math and said it's going to be an 8% higher benefit by waiting that additional year, but you get that 8% higher amount for the rest of your life, Yeah. right? And not only that, but you also have more time to be saving for retirement, more time to be paying down debt, more time to let those investments grow without being disturbed. Um, One more year matters for sure. Work with your CFP, plan it out, map it out, look at, well, if I'm done at 64, how does that compare to being done at 65 and make a wise decision there? All right, that's all the time we have for today. On behalf of Josh Gregory, Kevin Corhorn, all of us at Corhorn Financial Group, have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. I mean, maybe even right at the beginning, since we're talking whole life, it's a policy that they'll have forever. At some point, like you mentioned, there'll be a decision whether you keep it or you gift it to the kids or, mm-hmm. or what I you mean, do. Some, some people even say they'll have it for their whole life. <laughs> yeah, crazy. I wonder where they got that idea. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.